Welcome to the Judgment Enforcement Hour with Joe Dickerson. In our program, we reveal the unrealistic expectations of many creditors and the schemes of debtors and fraudsters that are nearly as old as man's time on earth. Now, here is your host, Joe Dickerson, with the new processes to outsmart the bad guys. Hello, Mr. Ms. America. This is Joe Dickerson, your host for the Judgment Enforcement Hour. We're here to help all the victims of fraud, civil theft, embezzlement, contract disputes, divorce settlements, and God knows what other kind of malfeasance and evil deeds that may have been committed against you folks. I'm here to share with you my 55 years of financial forensic research and case management skills to help people recover their losses and enforce their judgments. Speaking of judgment enforcement, would you believe that 80% of the civil judgments entered by the courts in the United States are never collected? That's right, 80%. It's, it's, just, it's just not right. I mean, uh, the court awards you this. They say you've been embezzled or defrauded, and 80% of the time, you never get your money. So we're going to talk about, uh, uh, as the opportunities present today, uh, how we can overcome that 80% figure. Uh, but we're going to start off talking about uh, some case histories from around the United States and internationally this time. We've got an exciting guest with us today. I want you to keep in mind that it is not what you win in court that matters. It's what you recover that matters. So I'm pleased to introduce to you uh, my friend and colleague, David Marchant, an investigative journalist. Uh, David owns and operates Offshore Alert which is a news document and conference organization that specializes in financial intelligence uh, investigations with emphasis on high-value cross-border finance conducted in highly confidential offshore and onshore jurisdictions. Since launching the company in 1997, Offshore Alert has exposed more than 175 investment frauds and money laundering schemes Uh, while they were in progress, contributing to their early collapse and helping law enforcement, regulators, asset recovery specialists like myself hold these responsible people accountable for their crimes. Fraudsters have sued uh, Mr. Marchant and Offshore Alert for defamation in Canada, the Cayman Islands, England, Grenada, Panama, and the United States with several plaintiffs subsequently going to prison, including one for 17 years. So my advice to you is don't sue David for doing his job. You may well regret it from inside the prison. So, David, with that introduction, uh, welcome to the Judgment Enforcement Hour. Let's start by having you uh, tell our audience about your professional background and how you got into this business and a little bit about the uh, overview of the notorious background of the bad guys that uh, you have helped rightfully share the justice system. David? Uh, thank the floor you, is yours, my friend. So, I'm, uh, I was born in Britain. I was uh, trained as a journalist in Britain. Uh, I've been a journalist all my working career, so for approximately 35 years. After leaving Britain, I worked in Bermuda as a journalist, 
And that's, you know, Bermuda is one of the world's biggest three uh, insurance and reinsurance markets. And it's 21 square miles. The population is about 60,000 people, right? So you only need to be mildly inquisitive to think, how does such a small place with so few people, you know, it's really just an island in the middle of nowhere, uh, become the world's third largest insurance and reinsurance market. That's when I got interested in um, offshore finance. And I actually got too interested in it because I started to do a lot of investigations and I actually got kicked out of Bermuda. Uh, it was done in a very civilized manner. Uh, a couple of immigration officials turned up uh, uh, to my home handed me a letter which said you have to leave the island by this time, by this date. So I went to Miami, launched Offshore Alert in 1997, and I've been, you know, I'm the the owner and the operator of Offshore Alert. I've been running it since 1997. I'm unencumbered by people telling me, I can't write this, I can't write that, I can't do this, I can't do that. Um, I love investigating and exposing serious financial crime. It fits who I am uh, like a hand in a glove. Uh, it's, you know, the perfect job for me. And, you know, we have exposed many, many, many uh, serious financial criminals. And by serious financial crime and criminals, I mean people who are committing, you know, fraud where the losses to victims are in the, you know, typically hundreds of millions of dollars. And in at least one instance uh, where we exposed a publicly listed company that was sponsored by Goldman Sachs, the same month it went public, the losses were almost certainly over a billion dollars. And as a result of that, if you go to the testimonials page of offshorealert.com, I would suggest our testimonials page is unlike any other company in the world because it's full of comments and in some cases audio recordings of people saying, I am the worst journalist in the world. I am the worst human being in the world. Um, but these quotes or you know, testimonials, quote unquote, are from criminals, people we've exposed. And in my line of work, the, the sincerest um, compliment anyone can pay me is a, you know, a very bad criminal, I mean, quite frankly, an evil person, uh, telling me that I am the worst person in the world. And that basically comprises our testimonials page, along with a couple of audio recordings of people threatening to kill me, uh, and so on. And um, I would say that the, the real key to my job is, is uh, when it comes to my job, really having no fear. So, you know, a key component to exposing 
uh, uh, you know, major criminals is to not be afraid of them and to actually make them afraid of you. And the way you make them afraid of you is you help to put them in prison. So you actually have to fight quite a few battles before you, before people get the message. You know, and, and, and fortunately, those battles are expensive and they really come in the form of defamation actions. So the first person that sued me for libel was a, an American CPA based in Panama called Mark Harris. He's, uh, we launched the new offshore alert in 1997. He sued in 98, if my memory serves me correctly. And uh, we had a trial, cost me a lot of money, almost went bust uh, because of it. Um, you know, litigation is expensive, as anyone who's been involved in litigation knows. But, you know, I am, you know, very determined. And we had a trial, a bench trial. The judge issued a 17-page ruling, ruling, and not one word was negative towards us. It was all in our favor. Mr. Harris went bust. He went on the run, went to Nicaragua. The U.S. arrested him and charged him five years later. He was sentenced to 17 years in prison. A second group, unrelated, sued me. A similar thing happened. We exposed them. The group collapsed. They were criminally charged. It happened a third time. And around about the thir third time, you know, people started getting the message. So when people now threaten, you know, I, I actually very rarely get even threats of lawsuits because we publish the threats. You know, we ridicule the people. We give them what they hate the most, which is publicity. I mean, the and reason the truth. they're threat threatening to sue us, right, is because we publish negative information. And I must add, not just negative information, but thoroughly researched information, professionally written, and professionally produced you know i am a a trained journalist and i do not let emotion get in the way of what i write you know because i i um you know i was watching a bbc documentary about women in afghanistan and this was the most powerful documentary i'd seen and i tried to figure out why it was so powerful and, and the reason it was so powerful is that the producer and the narrator delivered the information just unemotionally, didn't try and put a spin on it. And that stuck with me. So basically, my journalistic style is to do, you know, you know, a lot of research and just reproduce the information and let the reader interpret the information, you know, as they wish. We all have a bias system. You can, you know, my job is just to present facts. What somebody makes of those facts uh, it's up to them, and it can ve vary greatly. You know, somebody can read a story and think, oh, uh, maybe they're not a crook after all, and somebody else can read exactly the same story and think, man, this is a real crook. So that's basically what I do. I almost went to prison in Bermuda because uh, after I left Launched Offshore Alert, I, um, I, I flew back there to testify for the liquidators of um, a company that had, uh, had gone bust owing approximately $65 million to U.S. insurance companies. I testified for the liquidators, the defendants. It was a civil case, civil trial. Uh, tried to have me put in prison for contempt of court because I refused, to, I refused an order from the judge uh, to reveal my sources for stories. 
And then the judge had to decide whether to hold me in contempt of court. So, you know, the long and the short of it is I've been around the block a few times and there's no sincerer source of confidence than experience. You know, I've lived and breathed it for, you know, well over 20 years with Offshore Alert. And uh, I'm happy to help your listeners in any way I can. Well, thank you. That gives us a great background, uh, David, and I'm sure everybody's finding this to be most interesting. I think it might be helpful to some of our listeners. You and I kind of speak the same language, but some of them may not understand uh, what the reinsurance business is. A lot of people have heard it, but they don't know how it works. Could you kind of explain that to the audience and then tell us how that dovetails into the opportunity to commit insurance fraud and uh, why this might be more prevalent in Bermuda than other places. Sure. And we've got uh, about uh, five to seven minutes before we have to take our first break. So let's jump into that. And then uh, if we have time before the break, you can give us an example or two. If not, we'll do it right after the first commercial break. Go ahead, David. So reinsurance is insurance for insurance companies. So it's like a bookmaker laying off a bet. So if you went to the bookmakers, let's say for the Super Bowl, at the beginning beginning of the season, you pick the worst team out there. What is it? The Bengals or something, right? So the odds are probably quite long on a team uh, like the Bengals winning the Super Bowl. So let's say, yeah, you're you're quite wealthy. You know, you put down a million dollars, right? Let's say the odds are 100 to 1. So you you go to your bookmaker, you place the bet. Well, the bookmaker thinks, hmm, listen, it's extremely unlikely that uh, the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl, right, at the very beginning of the season. But uh, there's always a chance. And if they do win, I'm going to go bust, you know, paying out on this. So I'm going to lay off some of the bet. So they will place the same bet with another bookmaker. So they assume some of the risk. Yeah, it could, whatever, it could be 20%, let's say. And they lay off the other 80%. So that's what reinsurance is. You know, uh, insurance companies underwrite risk, take premiums, and they will then go and, and assume some of that risk and buy insurance in case the incident being insured actually happens, whether it's a hurricane or whatever. So Bermuda specializes in this, but at a very, very, very high level. And Bermuda also specializes in captive insurance. And a captive insurance, in essence, is, is, is a big overseas corporation, whatever, Chevron, IBM, Microsoft, whatever, right, where they set up their own offshore insurance vehicle to insure their own risks. And actually in Bermuda, when I was there, the NFL, the NHL, and the NBA all had captive insurers, which are basically self-insurance vehicles in Bermuda. But, you know, listen... The world of high finance, it's all about one thing, right? It's about taking in as much money as you can. And you get all sorts of 
names, reinsurance, captive insurance, hedge funds, right? Right. Underpinning that, it's exactly the same thing, right? You can call it whatever you want. The name of the game is to get as much money coming in as possible. So whatever name you have to call it, you know, and it changes frequently, right? There are many, many sort of trigger words. Cryptocurrency, for example, is, uh, is the most recent one. Blockchain. We have billions of dollars going into nonsense. So what you have to determine as a buyer is, you know, what is sort of legitimate. And, you know, captive insurance is legitimate. Reinsurance is legitimate. And what is nonsense? Cryptocurrencies, for example. Every single cryptocurrency I've ever seen has been an overt scam. Not a single one of them has any sniff of authenticity. You know, it's just, it's just garbage, right? Um, so you have to make a determination as to what is credible and what isn't. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there who are chasing the holy grail. The holy grail being, I want to put money into something with no risk, high returns that are guaranteed, and I don't want to do any work. And the bad guys will tell them what they want to hear and take their money. That's it. That's okay, it. David. Now tell us, tell us how Bermuda lends itself to this type of fraud, and how do the fraudsters actually make money off of the reinsurance uh, portion of this? Well, I need to emphasize that, listen, Bermuda has a very legitimate insurance and reinsurance market. Well, of course. Right, you, you, you know. Um, but, you know, listen, the definition of, uh, of fraud and shadiness I mean, it really is a question of, it's not black and white, it's a question of sort of degrees, you know, um, you know, and you, you, you get schemes run by, you know, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, whatever, right, that, that aren't as overtly, uh, I'm trying to choose my words carefully, let's say dodgy, Okay, um, as as something that really has no ears and graces, it just tells you know promoters tell people what they want and people give them money, right? Um, even even the 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 sort of best known, uh, you know, most credible, you know, quote end quote credible form of finance, in my opinion, is dodgy. You know, it's literally the you know the world of high finance is littered with filth. I mean, it really is, right? But some of it is very charming, has a suit, has an expensive office in Manhattan, you know, Wall Street, you know, and, and some of it, you know, the guy looks and sounds like uh, the other end of the spectrum, a secondhand car salesman, you know, and like anyone with half a brain could know, well, this, this guy's trying to um, uh, rip me off. But in reality, they're all trying to rip you off. Uh, I.e. Mr. Madoff. Well, you know, listen, I'd never heard of Madoff uh, uh, until uh, the news broke and everybody else heard of him, you know. But if I had heard of him, I mean, Jesus, man. (laughs) How crude a fraud was this? You know, some one-man band auditor, um, guaranteed return. So this is... If you ever see any scheme anywhere in the world, 
It doesn't matter whether the Queen of England is on the board of directors, whether the President of the United States, or particularly the President of the United States is chairman of the board. If the purported performance chart is a diagonal line trending upwards with little or no variation over many months or years, it is a Ponzi scheme, guaranteed. And that's what Madoff was offering, you know, whatever he was offering, six, seven, eight, nine percent per year, you know, guaranteed, right? Just a diagonal line. That's all, that's literally all you need to know because there's no underlying uh, uh, investment in the world, not real estate, not Forex, not cryptocurrency that can produce a consistent return every year. It is literally impossible. There is no one scheme that works. Every single one of them is a Ponzi scheme. You see that diagonal line trending upwards over a long period of time with little or no deviation. It's like it's a Ponzi scheme. It's like if you walk down the street, you see a metallic, you know, a metal thing with wheels, tires, you know, a steering wheel, a, 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 a windscreen. You know, it's a car, right? This is exact. That that diagonal line. That's how you know something is a Ponzi scheme. It's as easy as walking down the street and saying, "Oh, that that's a, a Buick, and uh, that's a Chevron, and that's a Fiat." It's, it's really easy. I mean, it took me years to realize how easy it was. That's the ultimate irony here. Now, that's the world that you and I work in. But for the benefit of some of our listeners that may not have uh, had the experience in, or the training that you and I have had, uh, particularly as to Ponzi schemes, let's just uh, share with them for a moment what a Ponzi scheme actually is. Sure. We're about, so, so. about to go to a break here, so let's go ahead and take that break, okay. and uh, we'll talk about Ponzi schemes when we get back. Okay, great. All right. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Learn why 80% of civil money judgments are never enforced in the United States. Ensure that you have the best chance to actually recover your judgment and get the money the court awarded to you. Order a copy of Joe Dickerson's new book, Diagnostic and Prescriptive Judgment Enforcement. You can get your copy for just $24.95 with no shipping and handling costs. Call 303-974-5610 or order via email from joe at financialforensicservices.com. That's 303-974-5610 or joe at financialforensicservices.com. Did you know that 80% of civil judgments awarded to creditors are never collected? Be one of the 20% that successfully collects. Joe Dickerson is the nation's leading financial forensic expert. Contact Joe at 303-974-5610 or by email to joe 
at FinancialForensicServices.com for a free consultation about your judgment enforcement needs. That's 303-974-5610 or Joe at FinancialForensicServices.com for your free judgment enforcement initial consultation with Joe Dickerson. Contact him today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Judgment Enforcement Hour. To reach host Joe Dickerson or his guest this week, call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Judgment Enforcement Hour with our guest, Dave Marchant. Dave, let's go ahead and tell the folks a little bit about what a Ponzi scheme is. Basically, Ponzi scheme is an investment opportunity that makes no money, and the investments uh, to the or the return on the investments to the investors comes from the money from the next investor that puts money in. So you have to keep selling faster than you're paying out these guaranteed dividends. And it's one of these hurrier I go, the hinder I get situations that we've all heard about. And that's actually what happens in the Ponzi scheme is the more you sell, the more you have to pay back in dividends. And the more dividends you have to pay back, the more you have to sell. And you're also living off of uh, what you skim off at the top of that. And these people like Madoff start living high in addition to what they're having to reinvest. And they have a team of people out there selling for them. And, of course, the nicer mansion you live in, the bigger car you drive, and the more airplanes you have, the more credibility you have. So the more money that people want to give you. And uh, it can't go on forever. They always fall. But after the good guys have got back uh their investments, and uh, a lot of times, I know some that I've been involved with investigating, uh, the people never got their dividends. What they would get is a monthly statement showing them how much money they made. And I had a client uh, happen to be here in Denver that took $200,000 out of his son's uh, college fund and invested it with these uh, embezzlers that came here from England. And uh, he called me one day and said, I really am not interested in hiring you, but my attorney tells me that I must. So I've set aside some funds to do that with. So do whatever you've got to do and give us our report so we can get on with this. And I said, well, nice to have you for a client. So we looked at it. And sure enough, these were three guys that had moved here from England and had been indicted over there and were about to go to trial. And they ran out. Uh, changed their names when they got over here and started doing the same thing again. And I found out that state securities was also investigating them because there was a minister who had put his life savings into this after he retired. And there were three Denver police officers who had taken their money out of the pension plan for the police department and also invested in with the same uh, con men. So I, made an appointment with my client, went out and met with him and his wife, both of whom owned extremely successful businesses uh, separately here in in Colorado. 
And when I started making my report, he said, I tell you what, you can just get out of here because he said, what you don't understand is my wife and I met with these three gentlemen on a Saturday morning at Denny's restaurant. And we looked at their portfolio and their prospectus. And we prayed over this with them uh, over breakfast and during our meeting. And they're as fine a people as I have ever talked to. So I don't want to hear these things. They've not been convicted of anything. I said, no, because they're out running the law. And now they're on them. He said, you are excused. I don't need any more of your help. Get out of my office. That's what happened. Dave, you want to expand well, on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I on a, a few things. I actually, um, I was contacted by somebody, an investigator, and he said he had this elderly retired couple. Mm-hmm. The man had worked for General Electric in quite a decent position, had accumulated significant wealth, had retired to Florida. And they were contemplating investing their entire life savings. So first of all, don't invest your entire life savings in any one thing. Rule number one. They were contemplating investing their life savings in a certificate of deposit issued by a bank in the Caribbean island of Grenada. I'd already exposed this bank, you know, in the 1990s, early 2000s, Grenada, the government of Grenada, in conjunction with crooks, most of whom were American, went into the banking fraud business. They licensed just over 40 offshore banks, all of which were fraudulent and many of which were exposed by offshore alert. The investigator called me and said, I've got this retired couple. Listen, I know this is a fraud. You've already exposed it. You know, they're not prepared to spend any money on due diligence, which is common, right? People, for whatever reason, are prepared to invest their entire life savings, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they're not prepared to spend like five bucks, you know, on doing some research before uh, investing, and he said, listen, you've exposed them, you know. He said, listen, any chance you can just give me your stories? He said, I'm doing this free of charge because I know them. So I did it free of charge as well. I'm a human being. You know, I don't make money from victims. You know, I help them for nothing. You know, I, I make my money from professional service providers, at fraud and asset recovery attorneys and so on. So I gave him the stories. We literally exposed this bank. This is a fraud. The bank was offering whatever, certificates of deposit with interest of whatever it was, right? 60% a year or whatever. It could, it could have even been 60% a month, right? I mean, um, it was ridiculous. He gave them the, the, the articles. And then just out of curiosity, about a month later, I called the investigator and said, listen, I'm just curious. I said, what, what happened? Did they end up you know, putting their money with this bank or what? He said, he said yeah, they, they did. He said that they prayed, slept on it, and, and their prayers were basically, you know, please, God, send us a signal by the morning if we should not go ahead with this investment. They went to bed, woke up, you know, there was no signal. I'm not even sure what form the signal would have taken, right? And they invested their money. And I can't remember, it was like two, three hundred thousand, something like that. 
And within a couple of months, that particular bank had gone into liquidation. So it had already been exposed by Offshore Alert before they made the investment. They just basically, the guy worked hard, you know, his, you know, his entire working career. And in a split second, it's just gone. You know, what people have to realize is the financial loss is bad enough. But the emotional trouble, problems, devastation that, that financial crime causes is equally as bad, if not worse, than the actual monetary loss. Because you, you lose your faith in mankind. You sort of hit upon it. You know, these people are fine. You know, I've met with them. They're fine, upstanding citizens. Well, listen, don't rely on your judgment because most people's judgment, to be blunt, is crap. Leave it to professionals, people who are trained in determining whether somebody is credible or not. Because very often the crooks will wine and dine you. They'll pick up the tab. After all, they take you to a nice restaurant and let's say that, you know, you have four courses, a couple of bottles of wine. Let's say there's three or four of you. All right, so what's their bill at the end of the night? 300 bucks or something? That's a small price to pay if you're going to invest a couple of hundred thousand dollars. It might impress you on the surface, but trust me, to a trained professional, they would see through. It would not impress them at all. They would, a trained professional would eat all four courses, get hammered on the two bottles of wine. And at the end of it, say, well, thank you very much for treating me to this lavish meal, but I'm not giving you a dime because you're crooks. You know. Um, it happens time and time again. And there. also another thing you touched upon, you know, that uh, my ears pricked up when you said it was people get statements and it says your investment is worth whatever, $500,000, $50,000, whatever it is. Listen, that piece of paper is worthless. It's not the same as cash. Quite frankly, you know, a 25-cent coin is worth more than a piece of paper from a crook saying you have $1 million of value in your investment in his scheme or program. Literally, 25 cents is worth literally 25 cents more than the piece of paper saying that you've got all this value stored for you, Lord knows where. There's a huge difference between real money that you can spend in a store and a piece of paper that, quite frankly, has the same value as toilet paper. That's, it's, all, yeah. it's just fit yeah, for putting somewhere else, right? I mean... Well, I think one of our presidents uh, spoke well when he said, trust but verify. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, listen, you you know, but it is remarkable how little importance, you know, people generally place on doing some research, you know, before parting with anything. They rely on their ability to read people, which is virtually non-existent, you know. Most crooks are uh, charming to typically a very superficial degree, right? To a very superficial degree, you can go out, 
they'll tell a few jokes, you know, you'll have a chuckle, you know, not a deep laugh, but, you know, a chuckle, you know, they're pleasant. Um, but, you know, that is worthless in terms of assessing the, uh, uh, the credibility of an investment scheme. You know, there are only two things you should look at when you're assessing uh, an investment scheme. And, you know, the performance chart or the purported performance chart, and if it's a diagonal line trending upwards with little or no variation over a long period of time, it's a Ponzi scheme, head for the hills. And then the other part of the financials you should skip to are the related party transactions. And if there are, you know, really, quite frankly, any related party transactions, and particularly many, Tells you all you need to know. This is a scheme to just get in money and then strip, strip out your money in you know, professional fees, management fees, consulting fees to the people you know, who are running the scheme. You know, because the name of the game is just to strip out money any way they can. I, invent, I exposed Axiom Legal Financing Fund, domiciled in the Cayman Islands, run by a, an English solicitor. And it turned out that approximately 80% or over 80% of the over $150 million that had been raised had been stripped out by the principal, a solicitor, a lawyer, right? And there were many lawyers involved in this scheme, but he was the brains behind it. So, you know, we had, hey, we've got this scheme, it's uh, litigation financing. It, you know, the, the investor's money was supposed to be used to uh, fund, really, Joe, what you do for a living, right? Which is, you know, judgment enforcement, right? You know, this, you know it, it, and uh, the reality was that he was just stripping the money out to his various entities under various guises, and that was the purpose of the scheme. Certainly. Well, I want to hear more about. I want to hear more about that. We're we're going to have to take a break right now. We're right up to the uh, end of this segment. So tell us about the rest of that when we come back. Okay. And we'll go to break right now. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Did you know that 80% of civil judgments awarded to creditors are never collected? Be one of the 20% that successfully collects. Joe Dickerson is the nation's leading financial forensic expert. Contact Joe at 303-974-5610 or by email to joe at financialforensicservices.com for a free consultation about your judgment enforcement needs. That's 303-974-5610 or joe at financialforensicservices.com for your free judgment enforcement initial consultation with Joe Dickerson. Contact him today. Learn why 80% of civil money judgments are never enforced in the United States. Ensure that you have the best chance to actually recover your judgment and get the money the court awarded to you. Order a copy of Joe Dickerson's new book, Diagnostic and Prescriptive Judgment Enforcement. 
You can get your copy for just $24.95 with no shipping and handling costs. Call 303-974-5610 or order via email from joe at financialforensicservices.com. That's 303-974-5610 or joe at financialforensicservices.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to the Judgment Enforcement Hour. To reach host Joe Dickerson or his guest this week, call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Judgment Enforcement Hour with our guest, Dave Marchant. Dave, you were giving us a little case history there. Go ahead with that, and uh, let's get into some of the details of how that worked after you finished the overview. Right. So, so at any given time, criminals latch on to uh, buzzwords, buzz phrases, the topic du jour. And over the years, you know, it used to be, you know, prime bank guarantees was something they latched on to. Forex, day trading, binary options. Um, in, in recent years, litigation funding has been a popular topic for fraudsters to latch on to and to raise money around because several countries have... have relax their laws so that investors can invest in claims. So let's say a group of investors have been ripped off for $100 million. Well, the nature of fraud is that the victims don't have any money left over to do anything. You know, rule number one of a fraudster is never leave behind enough liquid assets, particularly cash, for anyone to, to, to go after you. You know, going after anyone is an expensive all right, let's take this call that's coming in. Andy, you're on the line. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hi, Joe. Uh, thanks for taking the call. I wanted to ask your guest uh, to give us a few details on how he goes about uh, assessing uh, a given matter in front of him uh, to determine uh, what kind of intelligence he looks for when it's cross-border because, uh, as he pointed out, there are some matters uh, that are very legitimate and others that are not. So what's he look for in making his assessment that it's not legitimate? And how does he decide? What criteria does he use in making a decision whether there's a recovery in one of these foreign jurisdictions or whether it's just uh, going to be a waste of time? Okay, David, uh, go ahead. Sure, sure. So in terms of, like, finding trouble, which was the gist of your question. So I've got a very sophisticated monitoring system in place. Uh, Just to give you an oversight, I have researchers in Bermuda, the British Virgin Islands, the Bahamas, and the Cayman Islands, because my speciality is offshore financial centers, right? Any big corporations and high net worth individuals gravitate to uh, offshore financial centers to reduce their sort of risk and their tax obligations and 
to protect themselves from lawsuits in their home countries, such as the United States. So I also uh, subscribe to database services where I have monitoring phrases and keywords set up to alert me to new uh, litigation that is of interest to me. So I will monitor terms like, you know, Cayman Islands, Bermuda, BVI, um, you know, Mauritius, uh, you know, Nevis, uh, Delaware. <laughs> um, Wyoming. So we're forever publishing information. Um, I've been doing this for, I also scour the internet, right, looking, I mean, honestly, it's just something as simple as, there's no such thing as um, low risk, high reward. So I might go to Google and just literally type in low risk, high reward, and pretty much everything that comes up is, you know, by definition going to be, let's say, suspect, right? Because it doesn't exist. So what, you know, what, 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 what scheme operators would even have those as their trigger words uh, on Google? So I also, I've been doing it for so long that a lot of people contact me. You know, I'm a lightning rod for, for victims and whistleblowers. They will call me and say, listen, I'm sure this is a scam. Please take a look at it. Because they know if we expose something, it will collapse. And it will, you know, we will hasten its collapse. It's inevitable because I've earned my spurs. I've been doing it for a long time. I've been tested at trials. So just a few of the telltale signs when you're analyzing any investment schemes are what I've already gone into. You know, it does, like I said, doesn't matter. Queen of England could be the chairman. President of the United States could be the CEO. It's irrelevant. If the purported performance chart is a diagonal line trending upwards with little or no variation over a long period of time. It's a Ponzi scheme. That's it. It's a scam. And then the other obvious telltale sign, go to the financials, related party transactions. If you're running a business and you need to hire a law firm, an accounting firm, a consulting firm, you don't hire one, right, as a company that you own. It's absurd. It's a massive red flag. So if you see that on a set of financials in a note, you know, it just means that the object of that scheme is to take your money and siphon it out under the guise of legitimacy, that, oh, yes, we paid a law, f- you know, so I'm the CEO of, of, of the company that's running the fund. And we, you know, this fund needs legal advice. Hey, guess what? You know, of all the law firms in the world, you know, the, the law firm that offers us legal advice just happens to be the one that I'm a partner of. You know, it's ridiculous. Um, any time anyone guarantees you anything, Right? There, there are no guarantees. You know, we're born. You know, we get to breathe the air for free. You know, and pretty much that's about it. And we're left to fend for ourselves. There are no guarantees. Anyone offering a guarantee is just basically selling you something that you want, right? That, that you, they're telling you something you want to hear. People want 
basically to think there's something out there that there's little risk, high returns, they don't have to work for it. It does not exist. Yes, there are plenty of schemes where you can make a lot of money. You could have invested in Apple before Steve Jobs took over for the second time. If you'd invested in Apple, you would have made a fortune. But I can guarantee you that share price doesn't, is not a diagonal line trending upwards with little or no variation over a long period of time. It was up and down like a yo-yo. And Apple almost went bust at one stage. Go ahead, John. Welcome to the Judgment Enforcement Hour. What is your question or comment? Oh, hello. I two questions. Number one, why did you choose to David? Uh, yes, why did you choose Miami as home base? Number two, are there any jurisdictions where you're just constantly up against a wall if the fraudsters come from behind there? Say, say China or Russia. <clears throat> okay, so why did I choose Miami? So I got kicked out of Bermuda, and my natural instinct was go to was to go to another offshore. You know, so I, I, I determined I was I kicked out of Bermuda. I'm going to launch offshore alert. So where do I base it? I went to the Cayman Islands, because at that stage, I really didn't know much about offshore centers other than Bermuda. So I educated myself. I went to the Cayman Islands. I went to the Bahamas. I applied for a work permit in the Bahamas. Um, A huge private investigative firm tracked me down to a hotel room in the Bahamas when I was still trying to determine, you know, where I was going to be based. And they actually had a case, and it, it was like being asked to investigate the back of your hand, right? It was a huge insurance fraud. I knew a ton about it. They flew me, they were based in Miami. They flew to, flew me to Miami. This is before Offshore Alert was launched. So I basically did, you know, some, um, you know, commissioned research, let's call it. And, you know, I liked Miami and I just stayed there. Um, and, you know, and, and in hindsight, it was the best thing I could have done because I got kicked out of Bermuda. I can guarantee you after I, you know, that was when I was working for the Royal Gazette newspaper in Bermuda, a daily newspaper. Offshore alert, because it's, you know, it's quite fearless in, in how we go about things. If I'd been based in any other offshore center, I would have been kicked out of there as well. Because even like I'm a I'm a dual citizen. I became a U.S. citizen last year, and you know I was a British citizen by birth. And even though Bermuda, the Cayman Islands, the BVI, they're British overseas territories, as a British citizen, you still need a work permit to operate there. And what can be given, i.e., a work permit, can also be taken away. And it was taken away in Bermuda, and it would have been taken away in at the other places, because they don't want anyone going around, you know, just reporting fairly and accurately, you know, uh, particularly, you know, like if it involves some investigative work. Um, in terms of, like, secretive places, listen, in the United States, you know, you've got places like, uh, you know, Delaware um, and some other places. I think Nevada, like, a long, long time ago, like on the, I think it was the Secretary of State's website, no less, used to basically say, oh, set up a corporation and we're so watertight that we will not even give information to the IRS. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure it was Nevada. It could have been Wyoming or somewhere, right? But I'm pretty sure it was Nevada, right? 
And of course, that's ridiculous. The IRS, if it wants information, is just going to, you know, even 20 or 30 years ago, it's just going to go in, you know, with uh, a sledgehammer and, and get whatever it wants. So, so there are many um, small, you know, these places that tend to specialize in secrecy, and really that's what they specialize in, but to make it more palatable to themselves, they call it privacy. Privacy and secrecy, yeah, it's just a play on words. They're the same thing. Um, so when Offshore Alert was launched, offshore financial centers were like the Wild West. There really was no regulation. Offshore Alert helped to change that landscape significantly because when it was launched, I was just exposing anything, anything I came across with no fear of any consequences, which was naive of me, right? Because you get sued a few times. You spend a lot of money on legal fees. So, so, so uh, yeah, there are plenty of places. The Cayman Islands, you know, we publish the court filings. The Chief Justice hates the fact that we uh, publish court filings. He wants secrecy. He does not want American clients to know about any problems of Cayman companies. It's as simple as that. He's a disgrace to the jurisdiction. All right, David. Thank you so very much for being with us today. It's been most enlightening. I'm sure all of our uh, listeners were pleased with the information you were able to share. And I want to encourage uh, everyone to listen in next week, Wednesday at 5 Mountain Time. Uh, our guest next week will be Richard Harris, the owner of the Harris Law Firm that specializes and deals in significant family law matters. So thank you for tuning in. And remember, it's not what you win, it's what you recover that matters. Thank you for tuning in to the Judgment Enforcement Hour. Be sure to join Joe Dickerson and another guest next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll bring you more case studies and advice next week. Have you become-